A student once asked me if I could see inside his brain. I can't, I told him. It's just you in there. One has to wonder, though, how much easier it would be if we could just sneak a peek now and then. Maybe we would finally solve the puzzle, answer the riddle, crack the code. We want to bring you a podcast based on our combined 40 years of experience in special education. We've worked with hundreds of wonderful, bright, and complex kids and collaborated with equally as many talented, nurturing, and at times frustrated professionals and caregivers. When you try, fail, hit the wall, and fail again, you have to figure out a way to get unstuck. We want to help you do just that. I'm Raleigh, and I've been a pediatric occupational therapist for over 24 years. And I'm Danielle, and I've been in special education for over 17 years, from teaching to administration and consultative work. This is Unstuck, the special ed podcast. Well, well, well. well. Good morning, Raleigh. Good morning. Welcome to try number three of our first <laughs> special ed podcast. Yeah, this is, you know, we did the second one before we're doing this one, so that's fun. But hey, I think that works in other media, right? Like movies, they shoot things out of order, and it all works out in the end, and that's all that matters. I mean, I was listening to the Always Sunny podcast this morning, and they were saying they had Danny DeVito for 15 days during season two, so they had to record all of his right. stuff. Right, so you're calling me Danny DeVito. I get it. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, um, we decided that there was probably a good need for this um, you know, podcast to be created. I think that we have seen a lot of changes over the years in the way that kids are educated, both special education and regular education, and are noticing, obviously, that, you know, the elephant in the room, as we like to say, is that there's been a pandemic, we're in the midst of it still, and it has had some pretty um, heavy impact on adults and kids alike. And I'd even say prior to that, there was definitely a shift and a change in how education is being provided and, and sort of the the feeling that we're hitting a wall over and over again, um, both, you know, I think with kids that have obviously um, diagnosed issues and things that we know for sure that require special education and kids that are just falling through the cracks. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think this is a problem prior to the pandemic, the staffing shortages and the challenges of um, special education. I think the pandemic exacerbated that quite mm-hmm. a bit, but um, a, statistics that, a statistic that I have is that 48 seats had reported shortages in the 2016-2017 school year, and that right. includes District of Columbia, shortages in special education. There's just a nationwide um, drought, if you will, in kids going to school for special education. Right. And and I think obviously the collective anxiety has peaked for people. And, you know, something that we are very well aware of is that kids were educated um, at home primarily for over a year and a half. And I think this, you know, gave parents some insight into maybe that their kids weren't doing as well as they thought they had been doing academically or that there was such a pressure um, placed upon the kids or the kids are placing the pressure on themselves or who, wherever it's coming from that definitely pushed kind of the stress levels in a, in a household. And I think obviously teachers and educators, um, you know, OT specialists, PTs, speech pathologists were getting stressed as well, trying to provide services virtually for kids, knowing that that was never going to be best practices, but just doing what we had to do to get by. And I think here we are trying to recoup some of that loss. And we're trying to do that with, you know, a third as many bodies in a lot of 
workplaces and people not necessarily wanting to pursue this field um, in their, you know, um, education path. You know, they're saying, well, I don't really want to be in education. I don't want to be in a service like that where I'm close to people and we're still in a pandemic and it's a lot of stress. And I think it's just become something that, you know, we are having to live through and figure out on the fly. And that's kind of our, you know, motivation to create this podcast. Well, I think to, um, yes, agree. Thanks. <laughs> um, but I think teachers are not getting the training that they need and deserve because they're covering during their prep periods right. and they're foregoing training opportunities to be able to complete paperwork that needs to be done that they were formally able to do during those prep periods. And then you have, a, you know, a group of kids that don't have IEPs or 504 plans that are coming in with anxiety. I mean, something that is a huge realization or was a huge realization for me and continues to be is that you're thinking about some of these kids who were three years old when the pandemic started and now they're in kindergarten without right. any proper, you know, I say training, that's like a silly way to say it, but like any understanding of what to do in school. Well, those steps that we all take, that we've all taken, that you know the process of how you sort of start to matriculate into what's expected of you as a student, as someone in a classroom, and they they miss some of that. Right, and then you have your sixth graders slash seventh graders that are entering high school, so they've gone from a small little cohort of classroom teachers to now they have to navigate a whole school with... Um, with eight different teachers in a day, every schedule different, then day one looks different than day two, um, and day two looks different than day three. Right. So it's it's definitely um, a huge shift, and we can't just expect them to uh, to know how to navigate the world. Right. Well, and, and you know, something that I think, uh, in speaking to some of my um, teacher colleagues who are on the younger side, um, you know, in their early 20s and speaking to them about how much practice prep um, education courses did they get in how to manage kids that, you know, obviously there are kids that are sub-separate, they're in different placements that are, you know, clearly showing behavior, but how do, are you trained for that, let alone, which probably not, are you trained for more of the passive behaviors or things that aren't so disruptive but they're affecting a kid's ability to succeed in a classroom or affecting the other kids around him or her and they're saying well no we didn't really get that you know we're not getting so much of how to see the behavior how to see the issue in a classroom of 25 kids what are you looking for and as we spoke about with with shortages you're having people so stretched thin that normally you might have a psychologist on hand to to observe that student but now you don't have that person because they're stretched thin and they're somewhere else that day or that week or that month they can't get to this right away or you know as as an OT you're in so many different places if you're a district wide OT or, or speech pathologist and you're not able to see every kid and see every situation kids are going to fall through the cracks and and you know our teachers and the people that are really frontline with those students every single day teachers TAs um, are they able to recognize the signs of something that is a bigger issue and learning how to either adapt and work with that child differently or get someone else in there that has a different perspective I think, you know, we'll definitely talk more in the future about making sure that accommodations are in place for probably all students. And I think that's, you know, a piece of unstuck is what can we do that's just universal, universal accommodations? I mean, I come from a background where, you know, 
the population is much more sort of compli complicated, complex. They need things much more obviously. And I think that we have things within our milieu that are just naturally part of that. But that's not a given for all, you know, um, education settings. And I think we have to recognize that, too. Well, and coming, coming back to school from a pandemic, I honestly came in very excited, refreshed. And I, and I still am, but I think a lot of people the stress and the anxiety is still there. It hasn't gone. In fact, it's probably heightened even more. So you have all these people on the front lines who are working with these kids and rightly so stress and anxious about their own personal life and all of that. They're jumping to the highest level versus thinking about those accommodations, which are right, which can be universal, like you said. Well, we always, you know, I sort of talk about response intervention and just sort of a, a triage model in a sense of like, what do we actually need first before we jump to the, the last resort, the most restrictive suggestion? What's something we can put in place earlier on in the situation to be to be able to say well maybe this student's getting something they need just from these accommodations or just from a teacher checking in with them more often or you know making sure that there's a connection between home and school that's very clear for the student to see um having more parent teacher conferences if that's necessary you know whatever it might be to just make sure that we're drawing that line between home school the student and we're really making sure that some of these signs of anxiety and depression are getting noticed and recognized because you know there there aren't so many outlets you know necessarily that are able to be um followed through on right now i think there's a lot of things that are now becoming restricted again and can you be in a group and can you you know pursue athletics in the way that you used to be able to do or can you pursue an art class or are you able to be around other people and have that outlet and are we teaching kids the, the way to cope and i think it's also important that our adults learn to cope and having self-care initiatives for staff is a huge, huge, huge piece that we just are not getting to. It's like we are firefighting every single day to just stay even, if not a step or two behind. We have to find a way to be more proactive and to protect the people who are invested in this work, who are committed to this, that want to stick it out and don't want to go find some, you know, they don't want to be YouTube stars. I mean, not that that's a bad thing. And I sometimes wish that this was around when I was younger. Maybe I would have been famous. But the point is, finding a way to sustain this and to make it something that thrives rather than you feel like you're just ba barely staying even. I just want to point out that you were at some point offered a record contract, so you had the opportunity. You know, that's for later weeks in this. That's for later podcasts. Uh, I think it's really important to know uh, some some more statistics. Nerd alert! Hashtag nerd alert. Fourteen uh, percent of students fall under IDEA, which is a which is essentially kids who need IEPs or um, more support, kids in special education. And that's 7.3 million students, and that demand for teachers continues to increase. The Bureau of Labor Statistics is saying that an increase of 8% by 2026, the need for special education teachers. So we're talking just like an increase in demand, inc increase in student with students with disabilities, and to your point, or to our point of building in those accommodations and driving the change, I think it's really important to start thinking about how to incorporate accommodations so that we're supporting all kids. If there's, an, if there's such an increase in anxiety and behavior disorders and depression, what can we do to fight that ahead of time so that right. we're not getting stuck with this huge increase in kids who need special ed services when maybe it's not kids that need special ed services, it's the bulk of the population's needs a different way of learning. Right.
and coping. Like I said, I think we're, we're, we've lost our coping. I mean, you see it every day. You go out to the store, you see how irritable people are. There's not a lot of patience and everybody's kind of, you know, fried at the, at the ends. And I think it's being able to kind of reel that back in. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh, that's great. Oh, you know, you guys are telling us all the things we already know. And how, how am I as a teacher with 30 kids, 25 kids, how am I supposed to do all the things you're asking me? It's too overwhelming. I mean, I've certainly sat in meetings with teachers giving suggestions and you you can just see whether they're going to say it or not. The look on their face is just pure. Like I am so overwhelmed by even these suggestions because every day is a battle. And I think it does. We have to almost unpack it to the basic level again. And it, that seems maybe hard to get your brain around. Like now we have to start at the beginning, but I think sometimes you do have to get back to the basics of what can we do like if you even take it to the beginning of like, how are you setting up your classroom? Something as simple as how can I make this classroom a place that's inviting, that feels like a space where kids can get what they need. I'm reevaluating every student. I, you know, I'm looking through their paperwork. I'm looking for things that maybe I knew about this kid from a prior teacher, or I knew them myself. I've noticed changes. I mean, it, it, it does require us to be a little bit of a, you know, detectives in a sense, but I think making sure that we are getting together and having conversations about particular classrooms, kids that we're training more, you know, again, all of these things sound wonderful in a vacuum. And I appreciate that. I think though, it, it does require us to kind of divert our energy into how do we make this better going forward? And it might be tough at the beginning. We talk about this with um, kids that have certain behaviors that we want to quote extinguish and that extinction burst happens. You know, at first it feels like that's not going to work. They're really pushing back on us. And then we see the change. It's unfortunately going to take a, a little bit of an overhaul, both literally and figuratively, of how we think about education, special education, how we think about these this profession, these jobs that all require us to be close together, to be managing ups and downs and stresses. You know, I think love my parents out there, but you know, sometimes they can really push us a little bit in ways that might feel too overwhelming at times. And I think getting parents on board again is we are a team. This is about the child. This isn't about who's right or wrong all the time. This isn't about winning these mini battles. It's how do we get people together to really figure out how to make school a place kids want to be, adults want to be, and we get back on track because kids have to go to school. I'm not sure how that's going to change, but well, and everyone thinks the easy answer is just pay teachers more. And yes, we all agree that we just need to pay. just just want to add. We completely advocate yes. that people in, in education need to make more money. That is that is not a. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the dream. It's the wish. It's the it's the facts. You know? Right. But it's no one's doing this for the money. We know right. that too. No one's doing it for the money, and it's it's a reality that's probably not going to happen right away. So we need to think about other solutions for now. And change is hard. Change mm. is very mm -hmm. hard. And I actually uh, saw a um, Dr. Darnisa Amante Jackson. She does a lot around- Could you, could you say that one more time? Dr. Dr. Darnisa Amante Jackson. Thank you. She does a lot around equity and equity talks, and she just has these beautiful presentations. She's the CEO of the Disruptive Equity Education Project and the Deep Corporate Consulting Partners. So um, the CEO of Deep, wonderful, highly recommend her. But she says, you know, one of the things she talks about in her presentation is around change is really hard for people because you experience some type of loss. There's some sort of sacrifice that you have to make, whether it's time, it could be anything, right? So change is hard for people. And in the long run, 
change is good because you're actually going to make your life easier in the long run with change, with keeping things up to date and up to speed. Right. Well, and I wonder if you, and again, I'm going back a little bit to what I said earlier about, um, and I, I, you know, I'm specifying as teachers, but I just mean anybody that's in a classroom, anybody that's working with students, but how trained are you to feel comfortable working with a kid that might do something disruptive, say something we like to say unexpected in a classroom setting at the playground, if they're even allowed to have recess, who knows what district you're in. Um, but how trained do you feel in creating, you know, again, cause we talk about, well, can we go backwards and sort of say like, well, what are the things every student could have in place in a classroom or like for general, general kind of resources, general accommodations. If we've gone through all of those, we check those boxes and you have a student or two that aren't quite successful even with that, how confident is a teaching team about, well, now we implement a behavior plan? And what if you don't have a psychologist on staff? You don't have clinical people on staff. How do you feel comfortable coming up with that if no one's ever taught you how to do that? And I think this is, again, we're talking about change being uncomfortable, that shift of do we start teaching people more about how to think about those type of things instead of just kind of expecting that some person out there somewhere is going to be the person we contact because I think what we're realizing is this is so much broader than just a student or two or five or seven or ten this is a lot and I don't know if you have that stat do you have that stat about the percentage of students maybe we can uh oh reintroduce it yeah uh 14% of students fall under IDEA okay so we have 14% that we know are identified 7.3 million um so that's quite a few right and so I think that's but again those are the ones that we know are already identified as being you know kids who need something right I think there's another percentage of kids who aren't necessarily falling under that umbrella, but you have one in five kids between the ages of three and 17 who have some type of mental or behavioral uh, disorder. And it could be, you know, that they're just feeling sad, hopeless, and it's related to the pandemic and ooh, dun, 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 social media. Mm, that's a whole other, that's a whole other day. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole other day. But I only imagine these numbers are on the rise. I, I don't expect that suddenly everything's just going to shift on its own. And I think that's the larger point. And I, and I, I hope what we intend with this podcast is that as time goes on, we will be talking about solutions. We were talking about how to work collaboratively. Co- yep. Say it collaboratively with other team members. We're hoping to bring in some of our wonderful colleagues, teachers, speech pathologists, um, you know, administrators to talk about what are some ways that we can all work together as a team. I think I can't stress that enough that obviously this is not just on the teacher or the TA or the people directly in the classroom. It's everybody. It's a, it's a huge team approach. And I think the answer isn't always to call in someone else. Sometimes you have to think within. And I know right. that that's, again, I think having been direct line workers mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the classroom, being working, being working with kids, that makes no sense. Uh, working with kids on the front lines, having been a teacher, I can appreciate how challenging it is. And, for us to say like, oh, let's just do this, let's just do that. That's I understand that that's not always a simple solution. Well, right, but I think something that, um, and I speak to my colleagues currently about this a lot, is is we're missing sometimes the passing of the torch, so to speak, that you may learn something from someone else who's already been through it, then you pass it on. What is clear and present and happening is that people don't, 
have those resources right now to conjure that up. It's almost like I'm just surviving. I'm just getting through this day. Or I meant to meet with that group of people after work today, after school today, but we just didn't get to it because I had all this other paperwork and I have a meeting coming up and I didn't get to prep for it because I spent time in a classroom when I normally wouldn't be because they're short staffed. And we're, we're so pulled thin that we're missing the conversation time. We're missing the education time. We're missing the time for people to learn what has worked before try it now try it again learn from the people who have already been through it it. correct with your own spin on it and we're missing that a hundred percent we are missing that and if we could find the time for that that's my i guess our overarching point point is you have to find the time for that somehow even if it feels undoable unimaginably difficult to do we have to figure that out because this is not a sustainable product the way that it's going. And I, I worry. I worry about what education looks like five years from now, three years from now, 10 years from now. What is it going to look like when people aren't going to school to learn how to be in this field? Well, I, I do think that that's like the huge take-home point of this introductory episode mm. is that finding the time to meet with a group of people, to brainstorm, to work together, to learn from each other, that is... A huge takeaway point here, and honestly, how I learned the most throughout my years was really taking feedback from other people or watching people as they work with specific kids. That, that to me, is a huge take-home piece for this episode. As much as you can, find the time. Even if it's grabbing dinner at a restaurant and talking through some strategy. Or at your house if you can't go out to a restaurant. Oh, there enough. Because of the pandemic. Or maybe in the cozy oh. of the podcast studios. Studio. Yeah, I don't know. Our makeshift studio. We're still we're still trying to figure out a little name for it. Yeah. Well, I guess that's probably enough for today, right? I mean how much time you know I'm sure there's some statistics out there that how long could someone listen to two people talking before they're like yeah I'm on to the next thing so hopefully we've um, given your brain a little little scratch scratch the brain a little made you want to come back for more um, we will be releasing much more um, this is just the first one and we're really excited about it we're super pumped uh, that definitely sounded more excited than, than you've <laughs> than been the, in the past than, than the- the first few tries at this. The yeah, first few your acting's getting better. And, you know, for all of you who have chosen to listen to this first episode, we very much appreciate it. And we have a list of ideas, but we're here to talk about current trends and things that are going, are challenging for you. You know, this isn't just for us. We could talk, we mm. talk all the time until we're blue in the yeah. face, as they say, with mm-hmm. all this stuff. But if it doesn't make sense to you or doesn't fit your your needs get to us let us know on some of the socials yeah tell them tell them what it is so we are on currently facebook twitter instagram and linkedin unstuck podcast at unstuck podcast one now is someone who knows someone who tried to look us up on instagram there apparently are some other unstuck podcasts so can we say it one more time it is unstuck podcast the number one and and the artwork, you might see the name unstuck with what looks like bubblegum around it. That's us. That's yes. a, that's a, that's our artwork. And our little nook is a little picture in there too. That's right. We'll, and we'll continue to post some pics. Yep. Um, and try to keep up with the socials. But if you have any suggestions, let us know on one of those things at Unstuck Podcast One. All right, and that's it for this one. Thank you, everyone. See you next time.